Good morning. It's a joy and privilege and honor to be with you today to bring you God's Word. I love Pastor Omar. Uh, he is one of the most thoughtful and solid brothers uh, that so many people are encouraged by. And uh, thank you for your ministry, Omar. Thank you for your invitation to preach God's Word. Pray that the Lord will continue to build up Temple Hills Baptist Church for His glory. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to John chapter 10 where I'll be sharing from God's Word. On July of 2005, an unusual event in Istanbul, Turkey made headlines around the globe. 450 Turkish sheep leap to their deaths. The surprising occurrence was described by the stunned shepherds this way, and I quote, While we left the herd to graze for breakfast, the first sheep jumped to its death, attempting to jump across a ravine. Then all of the sheep in the fold, nearly 1,500 sheep, followed one another, each leaping off the same cliff. In the end, 450 sheep lie dead at the bottom of the cliff. All 1,500 sheep on top of one another in a billowy white pile of fleece. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and higher and the fall was more cushioned. There is nothing we can do. They're all wasted, said Nevzat Beyahan, a member of one of the 26 families whose sheep were grazing together in the herd. Every family had an average of 20 sheep, said Abdullah Hazar, another villager. But now, only a few families have sheep left. It's going to be hard for us. Someone, I forgot who said it, but said it wisely and humorously, that if there is any certain evidence that evolution is false, sheep are one of those definite proofs against the theory of evolution and that idea of the survival of the fittest. Because among the animal kingdom, sheep seem to have gotten the short end of the stick. After centuries of its existence, sheep can do very little for themselves. They can't find their own food. They can't lead themselves to water. They can't make themselves lie down. They just stand there until they get tired and they just collapse. Sheep are also given to listless wandering. As a creature of habit, they will follow paths through desolate places even though excellent forage is not far away. There are even accounts of sheep walking into open fire. Shepherds confirm that they are timid and also stubborn. They can be frightened by the most ridiculous things, and at other times, nothing can move them. And of all the animals subject to husbandry, care, and cultivation, the shepherds say they take the most work. Sheep are some of the most helpless, defenseless, and possibly some of the most dumbest animals that exist. And of all the animals that the Bible can reference, sheep are the primary portrayal of God's people all throughout Scripture. Amen. Israel 50, uh, Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Yet in our passage this morning, Jesus is presented to us as the Good Shepherd who gathers and heals and feeds and cares for his helpless sheep. 
In the Gospel of John, the author, Apostle John, clearly states the purpose of the book in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, which says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So these specific words, these very words of John's gospel were written to reveal who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, in order that you and I may believe and have life in him. As such, the gospel of John contains seven signs and seven I am sayings, which show God's divine and perfect work, which point to Jesus as the Christ, the promised Messiah, And today, in our passage, of all the sayings and descriptions we ascribe to our Savior Jesus, the fourth I am saying is perhaps the most popular, the most well-known and most well-loved. I am the Good Shepherd. And our passage this afternoon teaches us just why Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Such a characterization is suitable for Him alone. He fitly wears the name. He aptly upholds the claim, I am the good shepherd. So from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 30, I want us to consider three reasons why Jesus is, in fact, indeed, the good shepherd. Three reasons why Jesus is the good shepherd. Here's the outline so you can follow. Point number one, I want us to consider uh, the good shepherd's love from verses 11 through 15. Point number two, the good shepherd's purpose from verses 16 through 21. And point number three, the good shepherd's commitment, verses 23 through 30. The good shepherd's love, purpose, and commitment. From this exposition of God's word, I pray that you would be reminded afresh that no matter how helpless and defensive, uh, defensive, defenseless you may feel in the trying circumstances of your life, and all that is going on around the world, that the Good Shepherd, uh, you be reminded this morning that the Good Shepherd knows you and loves you. And I pray that if there is anyone here this afternoon who does not know Jesus as a loving Savior and Lord, or you are not sure that you are, that you would hear His voice. He invites you this morning to hear His love and care for you. He invites you to repent of your sins and trust in Him today. So look with me to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 30 in your Bibles and follow along with me as I read and preach. And please keep your Bibles open for the entire duration of the message to help you better retain these words. If you are new to the Bible, the Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about two-thirds into the Bible from the front. So John chapter 10, verses 11 through 30 says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to, t- to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, answered them I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Why is Jesus the good shepherd? Let's consider the good shepherd's love from verses 11 through 15. Look, uh, look with me to verse 11 again. It says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The passage is a continuing discourse following the account of Jesus healing a man born blind in chapter 9. The Pharisees showed themselves to be so into themselves Jesus accused them as false shepherds, as thieves and robbers who harm God's sheep and dishonors God. And in contrast to those wicked shepherds who took advantage of the sheep, who were careless about the sheep, who left alone their own, uh, left them to their own demise, hungry, weak, injured, and scattered, Jesus, on the other hand, is presented to us as the great shepherd. Make no mistake about it, he is not a good shepherd. He is not some good shepherd, not merely a decent shepherd, not just a hard-working, sometimes-ite shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Hallelujah. Whether you know it, believe it, or have experienced it, he is the definitive description of the ultimate shepherd. And Jesus didn't want you to miss his claim. And if you know him as he is, we can take no offense because it is entirely true. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd. The definite article and the repetition emphasizes the reality and the validity of such grand claim. And it's repeated a third time in verse 14 as well, almost as a bookend of the description, which I'll share with you why in just a second, but stay with me. On this idea, on this truth, this monumental name, Jesus is the Good Shepherd. The word good, which is translated from the Greek, doesn't do justice. But it's more than describing something that is just okay. As in, how's your day? Eh, good. Oh yeah, lunch was good. As if there are no other words to describe something slightly above average. Good here means so much more. Good as in morally, intrinsically. Good as in beautiful and glorious. 
Charles Spurgeon rightly caught the picture of this claim. And I quote, There is more in Jesus, the good shepherd, than you can pack away in a shepherd. He is the good, the great, the chief shepherd, but he is so much more. Emblems to set him forth may be multiplied as the drops of the morning, but the whole multitude will fail to reflect all his brightness. Creation is too small a frame in which to hang his lightness. Human thought is too contracted. Human speech is too feeble to set him forth to the full. He is inconceivably above our conceptions, unutterably above our utterances. Close quote. Brothers and sisters, such is the shepherd we worship this morning. Hallelujah. He is altogether lovely and beautiful and glorious. But why? But why is he so wonderful, so good? The following phrase of verse 11 gives us the answer. He, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Brothers and sisters, how do you know that Jesus loves you? That Jesus won't give up on you? That Jesus' love is greater that Jesus' love is beyond and better than any earthly or any other loves. Simply look to the cross. He gave up His life for you. He died for you. He laid down His life for the sheep. Brothers and sisters, don't think that this is a normal occurrence. Don't even think this is a typical occurrence. As I shared with you about the Turkish shepherds in the introduction, even at the cost of their own welfares, uh, don't be caught up in the familiarity of this illustration, the good shepherd, to think that this is common for shepherds to give up their lives for the sheep. Shepherds cut their losses. Shepherds may count the costs, but a shepherd rarely lays down his own life for the sheep. That is, except one. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus lays out the usual and the assumed practice of typical shepherds. Look at, verse, uh, look, uh, look at verse 12 and 13. It says this, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You see, but in contrast, Jesus says, again in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. And then a seemingly strange or difficult to understand initially verse that follows in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, what does this mean? It means, just as the Father and the Son, Jesus, are intimately united in the Trinity, as our God, the God of the Bible, is one in nature and in essence, yet distinct as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, Jesus was claiming His heart, His reason, His will for the sheep was one with the Father. Jesus' laying down His life for the sheep wasn't just Jesus' own idea, you see. It wasn't a mere heroic act. It was God's very divine plan. John later explains it more specifically in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for 
the sheep. He lays it down because it is God's will and God's plan and God's purpose because he loves the sheep. Brothers and sisters, are you doubtful today, perhaps, or any other day, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, loves you? That Jesus, the good shepherd, is perhaps not so good to you? Well, let me tell you, the scripture says, the truth of the scripture, that is simply not true. Sure, you can feel that way. I'm not illimitizing what you may feel at times. When, you, when difficulties come your way. I'm not even saying you can't have doubts about God's love for you. But as you know, as you have experienced, feelings come and go. Circumstances and seasons change, but the truth of God remains and endures and perseveres because it is the truth. And I pray that this morning you will hear and believe the truth this morning. Jesus loves you deeply. Jesus laid down his life for you sacrificially. He protects you. He watches over you. He fights for you. You thought I missed it, but Jesus tells us why in verse 14. The good shepherd says, I know my own, and my own know me. What a contrast for those who falsely claim to know Jesus. At the end of days, when Jesus responds to false professors of faith in Matthew 7, 23, depart from me, I never knew you. If you're a Christian here this afternoon, and from the trials and hardships that came your way or some circumstances that you are facing, you are discouraged in your circumstances and perhaps doubtful that Jesus, the Son of God, loves you, I pray that you will be reminded today that His claim, I am the Good Shepherd, rings out loud, truthfully, to you. He is saying to you, I love you because I know you and you know me. He's saying, trust me, follow me, look to me. Amen? And just one more brief thought as the text will proportionately allow. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Not for doctrine's sake. Not to prove anything. Not to merit a title or ascertain any credential. Remember, Jesus is the I am. But Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. Not for everyone, but for the sheep. Not for those who are not the sheep, but for the sheep. We can spend a whole sermon on those three words alone at the end of verse 14. For the sheep. But here are some quick thoughts. Jesus is the good shepherd because just as God created the world to be good for us, Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. There is a reason why Jesus had to die for the sheep. And not merely because for love, as the liberal theologians who deny penal substitutionary atonement claim that Jesus' death on the cross was a divine model and ultimate act of love. It's much more than Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard jumping in front of Whitney Houston. There's so much more to the goodness of God and his love than that. Which leads me to my second point. Why is Jesus the good shepherd? Let's consider the good shepherd's purpose. Verses 16 through 21. Uh, Look with me to verse 16 through 18 again. It says this. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In verse 16, Jesus is speaking about the Gentiles when he refers to the sheep that are not of his fold, this fold. This fold is referring to the Jews. Scripture shows us from the beginning, since God is the creator of all mankind, since God called Abraham out of paganism to be the father of many nations, although God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ was initially carried out through the Jews in order to preserve the messianic lineage, his salvation will be granted to the people of every nation, every tribe, every people and language. Hallelujah. And just as it was prophesied in Ezekiel 34 that God himself will search for his sheep and will seek them out in Ezekiel 34, 11, where he says, I will feed them with good pastures. And he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down. And as he will seek the lost and bring them uh, bring back the strayed and will bind up the injured and will strengthen the weak here in John 10 is the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy that God himself will be the shepherd of the sheep. But also in Ezekiel 34 verse 23 which says, and I will set up over them one shepherd and my servant David and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. Listen carefully. The tension which was also familiar to the Jewish people. How God himself will be the shepherd. And how God's prince David will be the shepherd. How as according to the end of verse 16, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. That tension gets resolved here in this verse because it is fulfilled in Jesus, the new and greater David, who says down in verse 3, I and the Father are one. But we haven't answered yet why Jesus, the good shepherd's sacrificial death, is more than just mere love, greater than any loves, because verse 17 explains Scripture's most deep and mysterious and profound love, which says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. Think, think with me on this. What is the reason why the Father loves the Son? Let me ask that again. What is the reason why the Father loves the Son? The reason how all of God's sheep are gathered. The reason how all of God's prophecies and promises are fulfilled. The reason how all of God's sheep to not merely feel loved, but to come to experience atonement, to be cleansed of our sins, to be forgiven of our sins. The Son's laying down of His own life. But not only that, there's more. Are you with me? The reason why the Father loves the Son is because I lay it down, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus' death wasn't 
the complete purpose of his mission. Jesus' death and resurrection is closer, but there is even more than that. Jesus' death and resurrection was for the reason that the scattered, weak, injured, straying sheep of God will be gathered as one flock under one shepherd. Hallelujah. Death wasn't the end, you see. Resurrection for new life, for abundant life for us, His sheep in Christ. Oneness with the sheep with God through Christ is the reason. More explicitly, Jesus came so that we may be one with Him in new life. That's why Jesus says the Father loves Him. That's why Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of God to crush Him and to cause Him to suffer. And though the Lord makes His life an offering for sin, He will see offspring and prolong His days. Because Jesus' substitute death would be the only way. The Son of God Himself plunging into the cliff of His own death would be the only way sin-sickened sheep would be saved. Amen? Amen. Jesus says in verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We see that this has been the purpose of God all along, brothers and sisters. Evil men did not thwart God's redemption plan by killing Him on the cross. Jesus was not God's plan B, you see. This charge was from God. Jesus' death and resurrection was God's plan from the very beginning for you and I, for all of God's people to know His great love. But you see, the truth that Jesus is and has been God's purpose for the salvation of sin sick, and sheep has always been controversial. You see, in verses 19 through 21, the people were divided because of Jesus' words. Look at verses 19 through 21. It says this, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Which brings to mind C.S. Lewis's well-known quote. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis says that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or he would be the devil of hell. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord God. Well, As you know, they did spit on him. They did kill him. Yet the grave could not keep him. Death could not hold him. He laid down his life, yet took it up again because that was the will of God. That was the purpose of God. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the best news you will ever hear. The news we need every single day. That God who is holy created the world in love for His glory and for our good. 
But man, having been tempted by Satan, chose to distrust God and rebel against Him by choosing to be our own gods, didn't we? And our consequences were clear because we were marred by sin, continually choosing sin, deliberately disobeying God's commands. We were separated from God like lost sheep, scattered, weak, broken, hungry, helpless, defenseless, and incapable of saving ourselves. No way. No truth. No life apart from God because of our own choosing. And we were destined to uh, face punishment of our sins. Just as a guilty criminal would face the sentence of his crimes, the wrath of God, endless conscious punishment in hell. But God, but God, but God had a plan from the very beginning to save a people, to forgive the people of their sins, to restore a right relationship with Him, to unite His people once again with Himself to reveal His great redeeming love. Through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, who is truly God and truly man, who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, His sinless substitute life, His substitute death on the cross, paid for the punishment of our sins. Sins of the past, sins of the present, sins of the future, hallelujah. And at the cross, our unrighteousness was placed on Him. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, according to Galatians 3.13. But His death wasn't the end of the story, was it? Jesus took up His life again on the third day, which shouldn't have been a surprise to any of us because He spoke of it so many times. Yet it's still incredible, isn't it? Still amazing, uh, yet so true, so evident. Which is how three short years of Jesus' earthly ministry continued on from A.D. 33 and grew into the most significant and influential faith religion in the history of mankind. History is His story. Which is the reason why followers of Jesus all over the world have been gathering together for over 2,000 years since Jesus got up from the grave. Which is the reason why you are gathering here today to worship the one true and living God. Hallelujah. Which is the reason why persecution, imprisonment, censures, bannings and burnings and shootings cannot and will not stop the kingdom of God's advance. So if you are here and not a follower of Jesus... Or if you're not sure that you are, we're so glad that you are here. We have been praying for you. You are welcome here today and every Sunday. But if I can ask you a question, if you're not a Christian, what do you do about your sins? What do you do about your guilt and shame? You can ignore it. You can deny it. You can minimize it. But what will you do with the agony of the lack of peace and emptiness and meaninglessness you feel in this life. You can continue to medicate and suppress with whatever earthly pleasures that seems to be so very fleeting. You know it. You've experienced it. Or you could turn to Jesus. He is calling on you today. He says, I know my own and my own know me. So if you hear His voice this afternoon, Repent of your sins. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you. Trust in the Good Shepherd with your life today and tomorrow and the next day. Don't leave this place without telling someone you want to follow Jesus. 
Talk to Pastor Omar. Talk to the other brothers and sisters here smiling next to you. They are eager to talk to you about how you can follow Jesus at the close of service. Dear brothers and sisters of Temple Hills Baptist, do you know Jesus died for you and rose again for you in order, in order that you can live? Do you know that Jesus died and rose again so that you can be one with him, not to be distant from him, not to be far from him, but that you can be one with him so that you can have peace, so that you can have joy, that you can have hope. So let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. How are you living your life today? And how are you doing bringing those who are not in this fold to the Good Shepherd? How long has it been since you prayed for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus to your neighbors, to your unbelieving family members? Brothers and sisters, Jesus reminds us of the urgency he says that, doesn't he? I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So will you pray? Will you preach? Will you proclaim? Why is Jesus the good shepherd? Here's more good news. Let's consider the final point. Point number three, the good shepherd's commitment. The good shepherd's commitment, verses 22 through 30. Look with me to those verses. It says this. At the time of the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's a lot of context here to be explained, but I'm going to keep it brief and get to the main point of these verses. As I study these verses, uh, this, these verses are literally like well-packaged gifts that keeps on giving, so follow along. I want to make it simple for you. But before I get to the main point of these verses, I can't ignore the author's progression of the narrative. So three months or so go by, now it's around December, and it's the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights, or what we may commonly known as Hanukkah. It wasn't an authorized feast in the Hebrew Scriptures, Yet it was the newest of the feast, which was culturally significant and widely celebrated even still today. Uh, you see around 175 BC, a, uh, 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 a Hellenistic king of uh, the empire came to rule over the area and had attempted to mix Hebrew and Greek culture. And in the process, he desecrated the temple, forced pork, which was considered unclean among the, the Jews, down the priest's throats. And they uh, turned the chambers of the temple into a brothel and converted the altar meant for burnt offerings into an altar to Zeus. Amen. But Judas Maccabeus, a Jewish priest, fought against Antiochus and defeated him, and he led his people to cleanse the temple and consecrated it, made it holy. So the author John, in pointing out how Jesus was walking in that temple in the colonnade of Solomon, was to show and signify how Jesus, the Messiah, who is often pointed to in the scriptures as the new and greater temple. This was a fulfillment 
a new and better and greater feast of dedication by Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's the context. But again, I want to get to the main point. What is more clearly shown from these verses, in verse 24 it says, while Jesus was walking in the temple, verse 24, the Jews gathered around him and encircled him to entrap him. And Jesus said to him, how, and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Isn't this question such a funny question? By this point, Jesus had, through so many works and so many words, shown them and told them exactly who he was and what he came to do. Yet they were so blind and so deaf, they did not have ears to hear. So Jesus repeats a familiar rebuke in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, I told you, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Simply, what Jesus was saying was, was you don't hear, and you don't believe, and you don't see because you are not my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus' sheep hear and know and follow him. They didn't, those people, and it was clear that they were not Jesus' sheep, you see. But the gift that keeps on giving is in verse 28. Look with me there. Not only is Jesus the good shepherd because he loves his sheep and he lays down his life for the sheep, but because he would rise again so that his sheep may live, that we may have new life. But furthermore, Jesus is the good shepherd because Jesus says in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Brothers and sisters, think about that for a second. Wouldn't it have been enough that we were forgiven of our sins? Wouldn't it have been enough that we would attain His righteousness and leave, live a peaceful life here on earth? Peace with God, peace with men, peace with ourselves. Yet we are given eternal life. We are given hope. Not only that, we are given security. It says, and they will never perish. Not only that, we are given a promise of comfort. It says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When life troubles come our way, when the enemies of our souls come choking life and robbing joy, the Good Shepherd gives us a promise we can cling to. He will hold us fast. Brothers and sisters, it is not our grip of God, you see. It is His hold on us. We will never be left behind. This isn't like Rose and Jack in the movie Titanic. I'll never let go. I'll never let go. And then boop. Oh yeah, I meant never let go in my heart. This is not that. His hold will hold us fast to the end. As the words of the hymn that we're about to sing says, He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. Say amen if you believe that. Amen. 
And we can be sure, brothers and sisters, this promise is certain because verse 29 through 30 says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says it is God's will. God who is greater than all, He holds us fast. So on the one hand, Jesus' hand holds us. On the other hand, the Father's hand holds us, and He will keep us to the end. You won't be able to let go even if you try when He takes a hold of you. Jesus is the good shepherd because He is committed to His sheep to the end. He will persevere us to glory. Dear brothers and sisters of Temple Hills Baptist Church, in an age where so many lies and falsehood and division and uncertainties surround, are you clinging to the promise of Jesus, the Good Shepherd? How are you sharing the words of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, to fellow brothers and sisters? How are you proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, to those around you who do not know Him? May Temple Hills Baptist continue to unashamedly declare forth the Good Shepherd's love and purpose and commitment. May the Lord continue to bless you and keep you and build your church for His glory and for the advancement of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. What a blessed reminder to know that you are the good shepherd who loves his sheep, who laid down his life and rose again so that we may have oneness and new life in him. Help us to faithfully, boldly, intentionally declare the good news of the Good Shepherd. Father, may Temple Hills Baptist continue to flourish and magnify your name till you return. In Jesus' name, amen.